Good morning, church. <laughs> How are you doing? Good. Anyone ready for winter? If, uh, if you're feeling a little warm today, uh, just know that our two air conditioning units are giving us some problems. Uh, I sent Tristan up there to kick them, but it did nothing. So uh, it's, it's going to be a little bit warm. Um, I'm sure that we'll make it through. Uh, we'll get that fixed this week. So next week it'll be nice and chilly the way I like it in here. Um, welcome to church. I'm so glad to see you guys. We are in a series called Back at It. And Greg last week did an incredible, incredible job. Where is he at? There he is. It's really good. It's very good. Um, I wasn't here. Carrie and I and our family, we were in College Station speaking at our previous church. Pastor Danny and Janet Green, they're on our board, and he's really a father of this house. He's our pastor. I believe that every pastor needs a pastor, and Pastors Danny and Janet, they're our pastors, and they have the, the right to speak into our life and to challenge us on things, and, and boy, have they. Ooh, uh, we love them for it, and we had the opportunity last week just to pour into that church. It was pretty fun. I did the end time sermon that I did with you guys the week before. I took it on the road and uh, introduced them to some current events. Uh, times are crazy, guys. I don't know. Last weekend, I was I was excited. I was in College Station. And I'm watching the news because I want to keep my stuff current. And um, then we saw all the, the things transpire with the Islamic jihadist and the 300 rockets that were going into Israel. And there's just so much happening. And so it's exciting. But alas, I'm not preaching on that today. So you'll have to follow the news and read the Bible yourself. <clears throat> but what I am going to talk about today is a topic that I think is really good for all of us. In seasons where we feel like this might just could be the end, we need a good reminder to keep going, to stay focused, to continue to watch, yes, but also to occupy. Each and every one of you have a purpose on this earth. If you're still breathing, you've still got a destiny. If your heart is still going, you've still got purpose on this earth. So I want to talk to you today and the subject of back at it, getting back in the rhythm, not just of life, but of progress. Getting in the rhythm of progress, because I believe that there are three truths of pro progress that I want to share there are many truths of progress, but I'm just going to share three today based on our text. The title of my sermon is Burn the Ships. Burn the Ships. Father, we come before you today. I thank you. I thank you for what's going on in the room. God, I thank you that Holy Spirit is here to unpack this word to us. God, we've spent we spent 45 minutes of offering worship to you and you've sat and you've received it and you've heard us and you've listened. And now the tables are turning. God, let us sit and receive from you. Let us hear from heaven today. Let Holy Spirit just bring revelation to our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Our text is in the book of John, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of John. It's the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I think John is pretty cool. He's one of the 12 disciples. Jesus called him. John is kind of a big deal. 
Uh, I look forward to meeting him in heaven. I think he's possibly a bit competitive, maybe a bit of a braggart, maybe, I don't know. And that's probably not true, that's just what I like to say of him. Um, because we, we see in his writings some very curious things. You know, you ever read the Bible and just think, this is ridiculous. Like, this is just really bizarre. Why is this in the Bible? Why did the author write this? Is this, is this part really Holy Spirit inspired? And of course, we know that it is. We're not really questioning that. But some things that John writes uh, in John chapter 20, verse 4, this is not my sermon, but this is why I like John. He, he writes that the two disciples ran to the tomb after Jesus rose, and his text says, the two were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Really, John? We, we know who the other disciple is. Okay, he's trying to appear humble. I don't know what, I don't know what he's doing, but over and over, he says in, in John, the other disciple. I mean, wouldn't it use less ink to say I? I outran Peter, but no, he's out, the other disciple. And then in several places, this really cracks me up. He refers to himself as the one Jesus loves. <laughs> nice, nice, John. He doesn't love Peter. No, apparently not Thomas, certainly not Judas. We know the end of that story. He just loves John. John is always saying, you know, the one Jesus loved reclined at the table. Just say you did it, John. Just say you reclined at the table, not the one Jesus loved. John, stop playing. John is always just kind of playing with his words. I love the book of John. The, the book of John is different than the other three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke have their versions of the story of the life of Jesus, and John is a little bit different. John is a little more focused, and it has a theme on believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to distill the book of John down to one phrase, it would be this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, if you've never read the Bible, this book, John, is the one that I recommend you read first. It's a great testament of Jesus. It describes the life of Christ beautifully. But the main point is, again, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you all say that with me? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There, you've read the book of John. The entire book of John funnels down to, to that. Um, in fact, in chapter 20... If you have your Bibles, I'm going to be in chapter 21 today, but I just want you to turn back a page in chapter 20 because we see the last couple of verses of chapter 20. It sounds like John is ending the book, okay? He, he doesn't yet, but it sounds like it. And he says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. By believing you may have life in his name. That's the chapter before the last chapter of the book. And that sounds like a great epilogue. It would have worked wonderfully if John had just stopped the story right there. If the book of John had just stopped in chapter 20, it would have been a solid book. But then we have chapter 21. It's kind of like slapped onto the book. It doesn't really make sense where it's at. Most scholars believe it wasn't written at the same time. Written by John, most likely, but it was, 
It was after. So we know that the, the chapter 21 in this book is serving a different purpose than the entire book of John. If it had ended in chapter 20, I don't know why, by the way, I don't know why chapter 21 was added. I don't really know why other than Holy Spirit wanted it in there. But here's, here's my thought, my opinion on the matter. My opinion on the matter is that if John had stopped at chapter 20, our last visual of Peter would have been that he denied Christ, that he was rejected, he, had, he, he was almost a scumbag, he couldn't follow through. Like we would have felt sorry that Peter did what he did. And then we would have gone to Acts and seen that Peter is suddenly the superhero where he's bold and he's preaching and thousands are coming to Christ. I think that chapter 1 is the bridge that we need to walk to get from Peter, the weak one, to Peter, the powerful one. To get from Peter, the one that hopes things might change, to get to Peter, the one that is walking in change, creating change, occupying the territory that God has established for him. So chapter 21, we're going to take that journey. Are you with me, church? All right. Uh, chapter 21, we're going to read verses 1 through 14. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Now let me just pause right there and say how phenomenal it is that seven of the twelve original disciples are together. To, to put you in the story, Jesus has been crucified, he's been in the tomb, he's risen the third day. Their hopes had been somewhat scattered and dashed, and they thought that he was going to overthrow Rome. And now they're a bit uncertain. I mean, they've met with Jesus at this point. But I think it's interesting that Jesus only had three years with these dudes. And after all the trauma they just experienced, the thing that remained was community. We see chapter 21 open with these seven guys together. In verse 3, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Any, anyone in the room just feel like they could hang out with Peter for a while? Any fishermen? A few of us, okay. He said, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, so early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. Now, the, to give you some perspective so you don't think the disciples were blind or Jesus looked like an alien, Jesus stood approximately a football field away. It was about 100 yards from where the boat was to where Jesus stood. So they couldn't really make out the figure. But Jesus said to them from a distance, Children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, No. Now, I looked up that word Greek, that word no in the Greek, and it translates to no, dang it, nothing. Okay. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, come on, John. 
That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. So I love the fact that John recognized that it was the Lord, and he told everyone else. And, you know, I'm really just giving John a hard time about the, the disciple that Jesus loved. That's amazing. I wish each and every one of us could identify ourselves in light of who God really says that we are. Yeah, I'm not jealous that John knew he was loved. I wish I knew, like John, that I was loved all the time. I, I, I wish, you know, we're, after, after church today, I'm going to try it. I'm going to say, honey, where do you want to go? And she's going to say, Torchies or somewhere. She's healthy. No, she'll say somewhere healthy, and I'll say, well, the one that Jesus loves wants to go to Torchies. Let's see if it works. That Verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work. He wasn't totally naked. He was, he, he was just wearing less so he could get in and out of the boat and manhandle the net. He put on his outer garment. He threw himself into the sea. And that's just a powerful statement for me. I don't know if you've ever disappointed anyone in your life, someone that you loved. You've really let them down. And you've not been able to reconcile it fully. And then you see them from a distance. And you like want to just jump out of the boat and throw yourself into the sea to get to them. Um, for, for anyone in the room that has ever had that moment in your life where you just feel fully broken and you're ready to reconcile and you're ready to make things right, this should speak to you. Peter threw himself into the sea, took off running. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place <laughs> with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus loves bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 in all. In case you were wondering how many fish were in the net, Stefan, 153. There will be a test. 153 fish. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. It wasn't torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Okay, so we're getting a glimpse of what chapter 21 is doing. If you go on to read the rest of that chapter, you're going to see Jesus. He's made breakfast for the disciples, but he calls Peter over and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he restores Peter. And it's a beautiful moment of restoration, which then launches him into his destiny for the book of Acts, where he's boldly preaching, okay? He becomes uh, the Lord, the one that the Lord loves. He understands from that moment that he is fully loved, okay? There's, this is a transitional and pivotal moment in chapter 1. Anyone on a diet? Anyone? I see a few of 
some of you are scared to raise your hand because you don't want your spouse to hold you accountable. Or, or say, yeah, right. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? I ain't even going to try to say that I am because my wife would laugh. Laugh. I do. I do. Um, I'm kind of an all-in or all-out kind of guy. And so I will do, when I do diets, I'm all in, and I'm, I'm in. Um, and then after that day's over, <laughs> I'm out. I tap out. Didn't work. It did not work. I didn't lose a pound in that day. But what I have found that, that works, if I could get a tissue, not a tissue, but a something. Yeah. Um, what I have found is intermittent fasting. I've lost 28 pounds through intermittent fasting. No tells. Okay, just let me know if I have white fuzzy things all over me because I tend to shed. Um, okay. Thank you, Lord. I'm sweating. This sermon must be great. I, um, I like intermittent fasting because it's kind of hardcore. Do you know what I mean? I don't even do the 16 off, 8, eight feeding schedule. I do the 24 hours of no food, one hour of food. And I get all of my calories in in that hour. And I, it's like you're just throwing the food down. And then for the next 24 hours, my insulin levels, um, you know, do their thing. And I lose weight. Oh, not sure that's going to work. Um, I'm all in. We can turn it off. I'll survive. Thank you. Do you guys need a fan? We have a fan here if you need a fan. Um, Lord, I just thank you that I can focus even in this heat. God, I know that this is a good reminder that I don't want to go to hell. But I ask, <laughs> I ask God that you would still let your word come forward in a, a matter that, in a, in a matter that makes sense to people because because, Lord, you know that I did not iron the back of this shirt and I can't take this jacket off. <laughs> I did not plan for this, Lord. So I thank you for the grace to lead anyway. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Talk about vulnerability. I can't take this jacket off. You know, some shirts only fit you right here. You know what I mean? It only fits right here. Anyway. My wife tries to get me to do diets all the time. I think she may even be starting something here pr pretty new that she's found out she's wanting to try, and she's trying to get me to try it. And I'm like, you, you see if you like it. If you like it, then I'll try it. You let me know how that goes, and I'm going to watch her. And if she's grumpy, I ain't even, even going to try it. And these people on keto, don't get me started. Any keto people on the house? Oh, yeah. Listen, I've had so many conversations with keto people, and you know what they say? They say, it's not a diet. It's a lifestyle change. I don't want no lifestyle change. I just want 30 pounds gone. That's all that I want. I don't want to think that I'm going to have to be carnivore or whatever or eat this or that for the next 50 years. Just give me the intermittent fasting. Let me, let me get it off. And as far as gyms go, listen, I don't like gyms. If I did, I would have named one of my sons Jimmy. Okay? I don't want to have to say the name Jim. I don't want to think about a gym. I put a church across the street from a gym just so that I could tell people I don't know that I go past the gym every day, okay? But nothing changes if nothing changes. I could say all day that I want to lose another 30 pounds, 
but I'm actually carrying the weight that the system I have deployed in my life is perfectly designed to create. Think about that. The family dynamics in your home are such that they are perfectly, you're getting exactly what the system in your home has created. If you want a new result, we're always trying to change the outcomes, aren't we? We're just trying to, trying to fix the outcomes. You have to go back to the systems. And one of the, one of the problems is, is that when we're trying to get back at it, get back in our relationship with Jesus, try, trying to get back into the rhythm of ministry, back, back into a healthy marriage or, or healthy connection with our kids, or maybe it's school or career, whatever it is, anytime that we suddenly come against a level of resistance, we're tempted to be like Peter and go back to fishing, that thing that we're comfortable with. In Matthew 28, Jesus tells them actually to go to Galilee and to wait. He's given them the Great Commission. They know he's alive. He's sent them on their way. They're in Galilee. Maybe they've waited for a day, maybe two, maybe three, maybe four. I don't know how long they've waited for Jesus to show. But I'm wondering, why is it that Peter went back to the thing that Jesus called him out of? Do you remember when Jesus called Peter? He said, no longer are you going to fish for fish. You're going to be fishers of men. And we see in this chapter that Peter goes back because when things get hard, when we face resistance during change, we always fall back. We got to burn the ships. Burn the ships. That expression, burn the ships, has, has come from 2,000 years of, of history. Different armies battling other armies. And it basically means eliminating all your options so that you have only one path forward. I, I did some research on burn the ships. And um, Julius Caesar attacked Britain in 55 BC. He was outnumbered 10 to 1. He burned the ships so that people couldn't go back. Alexander the Great battle against Persia in 334 BC. Burned the ships. Because it's scary when you're in battle. It's scary when you're trying to make progress. It's, it's scary when you're doing something new. And if you burn the ships, you don't have the option to go back fishing. Cortez' attack on the Aztec Empire in 1519 burned the ships. I also found similar examples from Burma in 1538 and China in 207 BC. Now, it wasn't always a ship that they were burning. There was a, a Chinese leader that actually burned the bridge that the army used to get to the land. So he he tore down the bridge so his soldiers couldn't get back. Talk about motivation. That's some motivation. Burn the ships. While the details vary, the general storyline goes that a military leader is faced with daunting odds, just like you, just like me, often outmanned, often outgunned by the opponent. There's no other option but to burn the ships, to, to eliminate the option of falling back into what you're comfortable with, falling back into your pattern. Anyone heard of the, the band For King and Country? They have a song. I think it's one of your favorite songs. I saw that on social media, Burn the Ships. Who, who was that? Your favorite song, Burn the Ships? They're not in church today. Maybe they're watching online. They wrote the song, Burn the Ships, and one of the two brothers, they're from Australia, 
they tell the story of, of why they wrote that song. His name is Luke. And they were playing in Austin, Texas. Uh, and Luke gets a call from his wife. His wife had uh, been having some problems with pregnancy, with nausea, severe nausea, severe complications. And the doctor had put his wife, Luke's wife on medication. And they were playing here in Austin, Texas for King Country. And he gets a call from his wife, and she said, Luke, I need you to come home. I can't stop taking the pills. She had found herself, while pregnant, addicted to anti-nausea medication. He dropped the gig. He asked his brother to cover it. He didn't play the concert. Maybe you were the one that went to a concert here in Austin and saw only uh, one of the brothers. I think that's heroic. That his wife needed him. He dropped his commitment and flew home to help her. Climbed in bed with her. They talked. She stopped taking the medication. He, he says that they took her to the doctor. The doctor didn't allow her to go back, allow him to go back into the room. They spent the next several days in withdrawals. Her body was shaking. She was hallucinating because she had a very real addiction. And she looked at Luke and she said, Luke, I feel like I, feel like I just need to flush the pills. She had kept the pills in case the nausea had gotten too bad. And so they walked to the bathroom together. And Luke says that as she threw the pills in the toilet and they flushed the toilet, all he could think about was burn the ships. There's no going back. We're not keeping them on the shelf just in case. We're not having a plan B just in case. That's my first point about progress today. When things get hard, we fall back into what is familiar. Write that down. When we face resistance, we fall back. There are some things in life you shouldn't create a plan B for, because if you do, if you create a fallback plan, you will fall back. Now, now listen, I understand you need to let Holy Spirit kind of put this in your context, because I do believe that there are situations and circumstances where redundancy is wisdom. I'm not suggesting that none of you back up your computers. Do, do you hear me? But if there is a dream that God has placed on your heart, don't have a plan B that just in case he doesn't take you there. Do you believe that he said it or not? Do you believe that he's positioned you or not? Like, why do we always settle for the plan B or the plan C? I mean, God wants your marriage to be whole and healthy. Some of us have settled for a plan B and just settled with roommates that are cordial. That's not God's design for marriage. That's not God's plan for your marriage. Why are we settling? Because when we find resistance, we will always fall back. It's human nature to do things. We do hard things until it hurts. And when it hurts, we stop. I'm actually really grateful that I didn't have the, just another moment of vulnerability. I'm really grateful I didn't have the option to do online church over the last three years. You know, I, I told you I'm an all-in, all-out kind of guy, right? I, I'm pretty sure that if I had been given the option to do online church, um, I, I may not be in church because I would really just like those, those mornings where I get to sleep in and I don't have to get ready and I don't have to wear a really god-awful hot jacket. 
Do you know what I mean? And I'm glad, if you're watching online, bless you. I am so grateful that we have a team. A lot of our team is on production right now, creating a service, pushing it out online, because we have people that can't be here. We have people in other states that are watching. We have people around the world that are watching. So this is not a dig for online. This is not condemnation if you're watching online. I'm saying for me, had I been given the option to engage in church online, I probably would not have made it back in because I would have fallen back to what was comfortable and what was convenient. I would be the person, I believe that I would be the person that views church as a commodity that I consume rather than a community that I contribute to. Now listen, if you're watching online today, God bless you, but I sure hope that you've typed something in the chat. I hope you understand the voice that you have isn't stifled because you're watching from your living room or from the hospital room or from your bedroom. I hope that you understand community can be electronic as well, and we need you just as much participating in an online environment than we do needing these people to say amen in the room. Granted, if you're watching online, you've got a really difficult job because community is extremely hard to build online, if it's even possible. It's yet, it's yet to be known if true community can be found online. We're trying, though, and we need your help to do it. But for you that are in the room, this is why you show up on a Sunday morning, so that you can spend some time before service and after service, and you can get to know people, and you can encourage people, and you can get to know uh, the, the Hogan family over here with twins, first time in church, baby twins, now has four boys, Marshall and Luana brought their twins to church. Like, This is what family looks like. Do you know what I mean? You look across the room and you see what everyone is going through and you get to know one another's story and suddenly coming to church is, is a lot easier. I wake up on a Sunday morning wondering who's going to show up today because I just want to get a, a check-in. I, I saw Tim walk in the, this morning. I've been out of town for a couple times. He's had to work a couple times. I hadn't seen him in a while. He, he's got his knee fixed. Now he looks like Captain America. <laughs> Tim is, he's older than me, but he could beat me up. And I love him. I love seeing him. It's, he's been out for several weeks. And I've texted him multiple times to say, hey, I missed you. I missed you. But it's not the same. It's not the same as me seeing him in the front, giving him a big hug. First of all, Tim is horrible with replying to text messages. <laughs> I am the one that Tim loves. I am. <laughs> Are you... Do you know what I'm saying about community? Community is, is very important, and, and we have to champion one another to not fall back into our old patterns, our old habits, our old thinking. It, it's in community where my thinking gets challenged, where I may be talking to you and you say, ah, is that really faith? I mean, it, it's happened multiple times. I'll make some silly little joke, and, and people will be like, I don't claim that over you, and I'm thinking, no, I... I don't claim that over me either. I rebuke what I just said in the name of Jesus. But that happens in community. We move forward in progress together in community. Verse 3 tells us that 
That night they caught nothing. The disciples caught nothing. It's a graphic portrayal of barrenness. And they have done what they thought maybe was the right thing to do. They went back fishing. They caught nothing. Now, why did they fish at night? I'll tell you real quick. There's two real reasons why they fished at night. The first was uh, they were hoping to have a catch in the morning to drop it off at the market to sell it. Because the fresh fish early in the morning at the market would go for a lot higher price. So they would fish all night to be able to you know, get their money in the morning. Second reason is on the boat, they would have their torches. And the torches, they would hang the torches over the edge of the boat. The boat was, if you go to Israel, you can see a boat that's 2,000 years old. It's about 29 and a half feet long and seven and a half feet wide. And they would hang their torches over. And I don't know if this is true for Texas fish, but at least in the Mediterranean, those torches would attract the fish. And so the fish would come at night and, it, and they would be able to gather fish. But they did that all night and the bible says they didn't catch a single one until jesus showed up so if you want to make progress in your life if you want to get back at it and make progress the, the second truth we need to understand is apart from jesus we can do nothing you can work all night trying to catch fish you can work so hard trying to get where you want to go but apart from jesus we can do Nothing. And Jesus has taught this lesson to them before. In fact, never in the Gospels do we ever see these expert fishermen catching fish without the help of Jesus. Maybe you've fallen back and you've gone to what is convenient. You need to get back at it. Maybe you need to get back into focusing on your marriage. Maybe you need to get back into focusing on your finances, getting getting debt free. I know some of you thought Jesus was coming back and you've got a credit card bill now. You were like, I'm just going to get those shoes because Jesus is coming and I'm not going to have to pay for it. No, it doesn't work that way. You need to get back at it and be a good, good steward. By the, by the way, we're all living in eternity right now. Your eternity started the day that you were born. We're going to transition from this body of flesh. One day, whether I die or the rapture happens and I'm glorified, I'm going to transfer from this body of flesh into a glorified body. But my eternity doesn't start when I die. My eternity started when I was born. This is training ground. This is training ground because God is looking for who's going to be kings and priests in the kingdom. Who's going to be leaders and who's going to be over what. And I just need us to all know Stewardship is a key kingdom principle. And if you don't learn it here, you will learn it when you get to heaven. So we're going to get a head start on that. And we're going to get back at learning stewardship in our life. Maybe, maybe we need to get back at self-control. Man, the last three years has, has given people the liberty to lose their minds and let the world know about it. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. It's Jesus that changes you. Your gift won't change you. Your calling won't change you. Your connections won't change you. A spirit-filled atmosphere won't change you. I heard someone this week make a, make a comment that I 100% agree with. You ever seen people that over and over give their life back to Jesus? 
you know, like every week they're coming out. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Please just take me in. And repetitively, they're just getting saved over and over again. I'm always thinking, why are you doing that? Do you not understand how powerful the blood of Jesus is? If you meant it the first time, you're saved. You you don't have to keep coming back, crying, being upset, feeling like you're not a son, you're not a daughter. And, And sometimes people come down to the altar over and over and over and over, and they're asking God to rescue them and to save them. But it's not the experience of the room that's going to change them. It's Jesus. The reason you even think you need to continue to get saved again is because you are starving yourself of the word. Listen, this is a key component to your Christianity. Jesus is the word. Read John 1. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was He was in the beginning with God, all things made through him and without him, not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. If you are a believer and you continue to feel like your life is surrounded by darkness, you're not reading Jesus. It is through the word, it is through Jesus that you and I can cast our net on the other side of the boat. And some of us miss our destiny by seven and a half feet. That's how close you might be to your breakthrough. But you've not heard the word of the Lord say, cast your net to the other side because you're so focused on not having the fish in your net. If you want progress... You have to bring Jesus into the process. My last point. The last point I want to share with you from our text regarding the truth, a truth of progress, is it's personal. It's personal. Look at your neighbor and say, it's personal. Look at your other neighbor and say, it's personal. Progress is personal. Have you ever gotten fired from a job and and they said it's not personal? (laughs) It ain't personal to who? It's personal. My bank account is personally impacted by this meeting. It's personal. I just love it. You know, even some church leaders sometimes We'll be like, we're just doing church, it ain't personal. It is personal. Everything is personal. Everything is personal. Your progress is personal. That doesn't mean that we should take offense at every little thing. We shouldn't take offense and take things personally in that way, but we should be invested in our progress, it it is personal. Whether I get fired or I make a bad decision or I invest in the wrong thing, I, I procrastinate too much. Lord Jesus, help me. No matter what decisions that I make, it's it's personal. It impacts me personally. 
And I, and I love in John 21 how Jesus just kind of winks at Peter. Not a physical wink, like a God wink. You know, where just little circumstances happen where inside your own heart, you know that God sees you. You ever had that happen? Like you're just going through a rough day and maybe God speaks to you through lilies or, or butterflies or flowers, whatever. And at the, just the right time, you see that, that flower and it's a, it's a God wink. Because your day is personal to him. He wants you to know that he sees you. From a football field away, he shouts a sentence that he had said months before, years before, when he called the disciples. He said, hey, have you caught any fish? <laughs> no. Cast your net on the other side. Something inside Peter kind of stirred. There's a man I don't know that's engaged with my fishing pattern now there's fish. I'm in a miracle moment. He sees me. So he throws on his robe. He throws himself into the sea and he runs. And then the smell comes from the air. It's charcoal. A charcoal fire. The last time in scripture we see a charcoal fire is Peter. He's warming up his hands and a little girl says, you were with him. You were with him. You are one of his disciples. And Peter says, I was not with him. I do not know what you are talking about. And I bet in that moment as he's betraying Jesus, the smell of charcoal is etched in the echoes of his memory. And he's running to the shore. And he smells the charcoal fire. And they count the fish. How many was it? 153. And that net didn't break. Because Jesus isn't going to lose one fish. And I don't know why there's 153. But I'll tell you my opinion. My opinion is that if you go through the Gospels and you look at the miracles of Jesus from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus did a lot of miracles to the masses. Remember the fish and the bread and he, he fed the whole 5,000 Long John Silvers. Remember that? He did a lot of mass miracles, but guess how many personal, one-on-one -on -one touches, personal, eye-to-eye, face-to-face miracles he did? 100. 53. I think you're in that net. I think that that's what John 21 is saying to us. No matter what you've done, where you've been, the, the trauma you've come up against, he needs you to smell the charcoal fire this morning. Allow the past trauma to be the launching point of healing and restoration in your life. He doesn't lose a fish. He's never lost a fish. He's not going to start losing with you. Progress is personal. He has a personal plan of redemption, restoration, and destiny for you. It's personal. Father, we come before you today. I thank you 
God, that you see us. I thank you, God, that you know us. You see our fears. You know our wants, our desires. God, I thank you that the net's not going to break. That the destiny that is locked up inside of me is not too much for you to carry. I'm not a lost cause. I'm not someone that's beyond the hope of the cross. God, you're calling me higher. You're calling us higher today because you see us. You champion us. So God, let us get back at it. Let us, let us get back into the progress that you've called us toward. For too long, we fall back into that which is familiar. We, we've too long fall, fallen back into the thing that just is comfortable. We don't even like it, God. We don't even want it, but it's comfortable. So God, we release right now the insecurity. We release self-harm. We release anxiety and depression. We release eating disorders. We release body dysmorphia. We release anger. We release resentment. We release fear. We release addiction. All the things that we have embraced and partnered with not because we want it, but because it's comfortable. We're moving on. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. God, I thank you for anyone that's in the room that doesn't yet know you. This is their moment. This is their moment to come into relationship with you. If you're in the room and you're ready to say yes to Jesus, just lift your hand and wave it so I can see it. No one else is looking around. Thank you for that hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? Lift up that hand. If you're online and you're ready to say yes to Jesus, just in the chat box right now, just put your favorite emoji. Put a hand emoji, a fist bump emoji, a heart emoji. It's ready, and you're ready, and it's time to say yes to Jesus. Church, will you just pray with me? Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner. But I'm ready to burn the ships. Not going back. I'm moving forward. I believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for me. He was placed in the grave and rose again on the third day. I believe there's enough grace for me. From this day forward, my life will change. I'll be transformed into your image. I say yes to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate Jesus? If you said yes to Jesus, text NEXT, N-E-X-T, to 512-980-1220. We would love to walk this process with you.